You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. On the show, we focus, I think, appropriately on the existential question because it is existential about the fate that we face if we do not come to grips with climate change, with the warming of the earth. We are talking about the future of this species, our species, and every species on the planet. It is not a matter of academic interest. It is a matter of literally life and death. And so we are so pleased to have with us today on the show Sanjay Arwadi, who is the director of the Academic Center for Reliability and Resilience of Offshore Wind. He is, a, he is the director of the center, and he is a professor of civil engineering uh, at UMass. I am thrilled you are with us. I want to know, and I want to know today about the, uh, the announcement, the news uh, report that came out this month that Arrow, the Academic Center for Reliability and Resilience of Offshore Wind uh, at UMass, has just received millions of dollars from the Department of Energy. Uh, Professor Sanjay and Director uh, Sanjay Arwadi, please tell us what happened just recently and what it means not only for the University of Massachusetts, but for the future of wind. Great. Thanks, Bill. Uh, and thanks for the invitation to be with you this morning um, and for the nice introduction. What happened was that the Department of Energy, uh, one of the biggest of all the federal agencies, announced publicly that they had chosen from many different proposals, one, to serve as the first DOE-funded, university-led education, outreach, and research center focused entirely on offshore wind energy and that they had chosen a team led by the University of Massachusetts Amherst and led out of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, this was a huge moment uh, for UMass Amherst and for the Commonwealth. Um, DOE made the announcement, uh, but I have, I have to mention that it, uh, the funding comes not just from the Department of Energy, but also from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, one-to-one, $4.75 million from the Department of Energy, $4.75 million from the Massachusetts Clean Energy Center, or from the Commonwealth through the Clean Energy Center. And I also need to mention that our partners in Maryland uh, have also agreed to contribute a million dollars. So this announcement was huge news for, for UMass and for the Commonwealth. Um, I do have to put a tiny disclaimer, which is that DOE makes the announcement when they choose the winner, uh, and we're now in the midst of a phase of contract negotiation with them, um, hoping that and expecting that everything will work out and that we'll begin to operate the center uh, as early as the summer of 2024. The amount of money involved is substantial, a total of $11.9 million. What will it be used for, assuming the contracts are all completed? It's going to be used for a variety of activities across three major thrusts of the Arrow Center. Arrow is our acronym for that much longer title that you read in the introduction. Um, DOE, uh, when DOE wants to uh, spend money, 
with universities in partnership with universities. They issue a solicitation, a request for proposals. And in the request for proposals, they, they tell you what they want you to do. And uh, they told our team uh, and anyone interested nationally in applying that they wanted this center to function as an educational center, as a research center, and as an outreach and community engagement center, those three things. And so we're gonna, we're gonna do all of those. Um, on the educational side, which we call empowerment, the money is gonna be spent on things like student scholarships uh, and support for students from the bachelor's degree level up to the doctoral level. And for students who aren't pursuing degrees, but are interested in uh, uh, enhancing their skill sets and abilities. Um, it's going to be used certainly to fund some staff and some activities associated with education. The two I'll point out to, to you, uh, Bill, are that we're going to host a summer school for students interested in offshore wind, uh, most likely in Boston, um, and that students who are part of the Arrow program will be able to attend that summer school at no extra cost to them. So they'll be financially supported for that. We also plan to help students uh, get experience on the more practical sides of the offshore wind industry and place them into internships or something akin to a co-op program with um, industrial players, developers, manufacturers, with non-governmental organizations, uh, Environmental League of Massachusetts, the Nature Conservancy, uh, and potentially also with governmental and regulatory agencies as well. So a lot of money is going to go to students. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I, I'd like I'd like to uh, have you pause here for a moment and go back to your description of the grants. Uh, talking about over ten million dollars, over eleven million dollars, and I'd like to know why the focus on offshore wind. We see these large uh, machineries, these windmills generating uh, various places uh, in Massachusetts. But this focus is on offshore wind. Why and what's its promise? Um, I think there are three big reasons I can point to for the shift in emphasis in terms of research and education to offshore wind. Uh, one is that onshore wind, as we see it a little bit in New England, but more if you head west to the plains, um, onshore wind is a pretty mature industry. Uh, it's profitable. The cost of energy is low and the mechanisms for manufacturing and installing onshore wind are all pretty mature. The offshore wind environment, the offshore environment is much more complicated than the onshore environment. We have waves, we have uncertainties in what's going on under the sea surface and at the seabed. Um, we have uh, more complex interactions with marine wildlife. We have sometimes challenging interactions with co-users of the coast and ocean. Um, in addition to that, the resource is fantastic. It's, it's simply just windier and more consistently windy offshore. And so the potential to generate large amounts of clean and renewable energy offshore is, is really there. And then finally, especially with respect to the Northeast, the challenges of siting onshore wind are uh, tremendous. Um, and there are significant challenges to siting offshore wind as well. By placing these new generating stations off the coast and in the ocean, we may obviate some of the, the challenges with onshore siting. Stay with that for a moment, if you would, please, uh, Professor. Uh, we are speaking with Professor Sanjay Arwadi, who is a professor of civil engineering and the director of the Arrow program at UMass Amherst. Does offshore wind 
have the potential to actually be a significant uh, or to provide a significant percentage percentage of the energy of the electricity that we will use or is it as is certainly described by the detractors as saying, well, it's really pretty marginal. It's on the fringes uh, when you look at the totality of the energy needs of the country. Speak to that, if you would, please. Uh, it's definitely not marginal. The technical potential for power generation from offshore winds uh, is enormous. And there are challenges with storage and integration and variation of winds and so on, as there are with solar. Um, but the technical potential is is definitely not marginal. Uh, I mean, depending on the particular study you look look at, for example, studies that come out of the National Renewable Energy Lab in Colorado, uh, there's technical potential to essentially feed all of New England. Now, we're not gonna we're not gonna get to 100% from offshore wind. We might not even want to get to that situation. But the technical potential is definitely not marginal. Uh, for those of us who don't spend uh, as much time uh, on the ocean as we might like. Could you go back to the statement you just made about wind being con more consistent on the ocean and what that means in terms of developing offshore wind and its consistency as an energy source? And I guess as part of that question, does storage and how does storage play into this? Sure. Uh the reasons that the wind is sort of better offshore are basically a geographical and topographical. Um, sure, if you if you imagine standing on top of a ridge top in the northeast, it's often windier than down in the valleys. But overall, the effect of topography and the sort of wrinkly topography that we have in the northeast is to reduce wind speeds, at least at heights that we can reach with wind turbines, meaning up to a couple of hundred meters above land. The ocean is flat, with the exception of waves, right? Uh, and so, I've, I've read so, about that, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the sort of long distances over the ocean, miles, tens of miles, allow winds to develop both higher speeds, but also um, uh, more consistent wind speeds. And so both of those contribute to the ability to generate winds more efficient, generate power more efficiently from offshore wind. Okay. Pardon my ignorance in asking this next question, but how do you get the energy from how far out is it with these generating stations in the ocean? How do you get it to land? Yeah, and I remember you asked about storage too, Bill, so I'll, I'll give you a comment about storage in combination with this. Um, the, the wind farms that are being developed right now are miles to a couple of tens of miles offshore, and we run electrical cables, or we will run electrical cables. Um, this is completely in the wheelhouse of what can be done in terms of running electrical cabling and conducting electrical transmission. Um, there are challenges to constructing offshore, but, but technically it's just not a problem to bring that power back to the onshore grid. Um, storage is definitely a topic of interest uh, and an uh, ongoing research topic. For the moment, and when I say moment, I mean five to 10 years, the level of penetration of offshore wind is not going to be so high that storage is going to be critical to the successful integration of offshore wind into the grid. If we look 20, 30, 40 years down the road, it's going to be more important. But luckily, we have a little bit of time to work on those storage-related problems. The, this is fascinating to me 
uh, how the entire system works together. I, I would be interested to know whether there is pushback against offshore wind or whether there's some unanimity that this is a good idea. Uh, there's definitely pushback. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to try to be responsible in the way I speak about this. I'm a structural engineer, um, and that's that's the part of the offshore wind system that I know a lot about. Uh, so to the degree I'll try to characterize these issues, um, they're a little bit out of my wheelhouse. So I'm, forgive me if I'm a little conservative in the way I try to talk about this, but I'll do the best I can. Um, there's certainly pushback uh, from a variety of parties. Um, the, the elements of that pushback that I think as an academic and a researcher that I take them most seriously are groups who have legitimate and honest concerns about simultaneous use of the ocean. I think of people who work in the fisheries industry, for example. Um, these are people who have, in many cases, lived on the coast for generations and who earn their livelihood from the ocean. Uh, they have every right to speak up about the way that industrial development in the ocean may affect their ability to earn a livelihood, right, and to make a living and to have their, their children continue on with the traditions of their families. What I detect in what I hear from fisheries communities is, a, is really overwhelmingly an honest desire to participate in a conversation about how we can proceed in ways that are good for the country in terms of transitioning to a renewable and clean energy framework, while also respecting and maintaining these ways of life that are so important to, to you know, real people who live on and use the coasts and ocean. We are speaking with Professor Sanjay Arwadi. He is a professor of civil engineering at UMass Amherst and the director of ARROW, the Academic Center for the Reliability and Resilience of Offshore Wind. And when we come back, we're going to find out more about this extraordinary energy source right after this. Stands on golden sands and watches the ships. Or talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with University of Massachusetts Professor of Civil Engineering, Sanjay Arwadi, who is the director of Arrow, the Academic Center for the Reliability and Resilience of Offshore Wind, with us today in particular because the Department of Energy announced, Federal Department of Energy announced $4.75 million from DOE, $4.75 million from the Mass Clear Energy Center going to Arrow. You mentioned, Professor, that some of this grant money, which has a total of $11.9 million, and congratulations on that. It's really a fantastic, I think, uh, Thank you. success for you, for the center, for the university. Um, that part of the money will be used for research. Part of it will be used for community engagement. Could you tell us about those aspects of the grant? Yeah, definitely. Uh, before the break, we were talking a lot about the educational initiatives, and, and we envision a very broad and comprehensive educational effort regulated to offshore wind. 
Uh, on the research side, we're going to try to be targeted, and we're going to try to use our expertise as researchers and faculty members, and of course that of our graduate students and postdocs, to attack specific issues that are most important to helping make offshore wind work uh, for the country. So things like how do turbines and wind farms interact with each other in the atmosphere, um, and as the winds blow across the surface of the sea, it's a critical question. How do the grids operate with increasing penetration of renewable energy? And how can we design and maintain structures to support the wind turbines that will last for the full lifetime of the project with minimal or negligible risk of failure? So the research enterprise is going to be really exciting. How long does a, word, uh, a wind turbine last? What's its life expectancy? The design lifetime is 25 years. For the machine and the support structure. Uh, we expect that after 20, 25 years, some of the wind farms will be decommissioned, some of them will be extended, and some will be rebuilt. But 20 to 25 years. And is it possible then, when you say decommission a wind farm, that sounds like an enormous project. Would they be then replaced with the new, up, updated, uh, new and improved uh, wind turbine? Or what happens? Uh, I, I think that's the reasonable expectation, that these areas of the ocean that are being designated for offshore wind development will continue to be offshore wind power stations, even if the actual machines and structures need to be uh, 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 decommissioned and replaced. You were telling us uh, earlier about uh, trying to have conversations with affected communities, including uh, those who make a living by fishing. Um, are those conversations already happening? Is this part of the project? Can you explain that to us, please? Def definitely. Um, they are already happening uh, throughout the, the universities that are participating in ARA. I'll give two examples from UMass Amherst. Um, the Gloucester Marine Station is a facility uh, on the coast north of Boston in Gloucester that is operated by UMass Amherst. And Gloucester Marine Station over the past uh, years has been holding a series of community engagement workshops um, to reach out to communities. Similarly, we have a strong program in energy equity and social justice related to energy and clean energy here at UMass Amherst. So we're going to be building off of both of those. So the, uh, this, this grant, is it, um, that's the right term, from DOE, uh, matched by the yeah. state and matched by others to a, a, a total of $11.9 million, it sounds to me like this is both an economic boon for the Commonwealth and I think a uh, acknowledgement of the uh, enormous scientific and economic and practical contributions that UMass and you and your department are, are making to this. And I'm wondering if you see this as a precursor to other kinds of activities, whether it will stand on its own, and what its relationship is to other energy, energy uh, projects that are being considered and researched. Yeah, we hope that Arrow will become the go-to place when uh, agencies want to make further investments in offshore wind education research and outreach. Um, Massachusetts thinks of higher education as one of the primary industries of the state, and so this is a real infusion to that part of the economy of Massachusetts. Um, and I, I want to also just say that um, as much as this is a validation of the work we do at the universities, it's also a validation of the hard work that our legislature our non-governmental agencies and our executive branch has done over the past decades to make Massachusetts a leader nationally in offshore wind. Um, really, everything is coming together now. We lead in development, we lead in policy, and we're now leading in research and education. Professor Sanjay Arwadi. 
director of Arrow, the Academic Center for Reliability and Resilience of Offshore Wind, professor of civil engineering at UMass Amherst. We thank you so much for your words today and your insights, and congratulations. This is actually quite an extraordinary event. Thanks, Bill. Totally enjoyable. Under the boys' law, people walking above. Under the boys' law.